Sean? Check, check, yes. All right, well, if you're giving your offering or getting coffee or filling out that connection card or signing up for that seminar, make your way in as soon as you can. But for the rest of us, we're going to start. Let's just say it together. It's time, it's time. to start. Yes. How many of you are committed to growing in 2018? Yes. Growing spiritually, by the way, not by waistline, growing spiritually. Say, dude, I've been growing for the last 10 years, you know? I'm like, I'm going from a 32 to a 34 to a 36. I'm, I'm growing. <laughs> you can laugh, sorry. Uh, so we're doing a thing, we're, we're talking about prayer this morning, and um, prayer is an essential part um, of discipleship. Jesus calls us to be disciples. A disciple is a disciplined learner or someone who learns and then disciplines themselves to practice the things that they have learned. Okay, So we have a disciplined learner. Discipline is at the foundation of discipleship. Discipline's important, but ultimately the disciplines are to lead us into habits that call us into the Spirit. So the highest level of discipleship is to follow by obedience in the Spirit. The lowest level of discipleship, or the basic level of discipleship, is through discipline. Which basically, you know what discipline means? You make yourself. So God wants it to be beyond you forcing yourself. I need to read my Bible. He wants it to come from a desire. He wants it to come from a love. He wants it to come from the, 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 the benefit. And we all need to discipline ourselves. We all need to make ourselves. But we're not to live a life out of discipline. We're to live a life out of relationship. There are things that are primary to everything. There's minimum standard. Everybody say minimum standard. Minimum standard. There's a minimum requirement for a driver's license. There's a minimum requirement for some college entrances. There's minimum requirements for jobs. There's minimum requirements for everything. There's a minimum requirement for discipleship. I talked to a lot of pastors, and when I started this church, or Sherry and I started this church, or my family, we began this church, we felt God telling us to do it, and, and the, the goal is, okay, one of the goals of the church is to make disciples. Well, the question has to be asked, what's a disciple? And we think we know what a disciple is. Oh, we know, we know, we know. But you'd be shocked if you actually asked pastors, what's a disciple? Or how, what is your process of making disciples? You'd be surprised at the answers that you would get. And so the Lord would say this. It would say a basic understanding is a disciplined learner, someone who follows Jesus. Yes, all those things. But there are basic requirements. And the basic requirement for all Christians is the foundation upon which everything else is built. If you want to walk in the Spirit, you want to walk in power, you want to walk in truth, you want to ultimately walk in destiny, you must have these five elements operating in your life consistently. They must be there. I didn't say perfectly. I said consistently. So it doesn't mean you don't mess up sometimes. You don't get it right all the time. It, and what are those five things? Number one, everybody say it with me. Read your Bible. Prayer. Commit. And connect to church. That's three. Number four, financially give. And number, I got two of you on that one. So number, four, number five is live on mission. That's right. Go forth with the kingdom. Go forth with the purposes of God. Those five things have to be operating in your life consistently. Those are the rivers of the kingdom. 
that enable the power of God to move. By the word of God, we hear his voice. By the prayer of God, we commune with him. By the commitment and the connection to church, we engage in the family of God. By the financial giving, we participate in the economy of heaven, and his economy is way better than, than the stock market. By living on mission, we actually fulfill the wishes and the desires of our Father and bring forth what he wants into the world. Those are all of our partnerships. That's what we rally around here at Elevate. That's our core foundations of our discipleship are those five things. We, we covenant around those things. Say this with me. God is responsible to keep his promises. He is not responsible to fulfill my potential. Part of the problem with our potential not being fulfilled is a disconnect between ourselves and these five things, our radical five. Radical five is the basic combination that enables you to go further. You will stumble. Many Christians stumble because they can't get the basics right. You want to put a rocket on the moon, you want to zoom into the stars, but you don't even know remedial math. You don't even, you know, you want to paint a portrait and beautiful canvas, but you don't even know primary colors. And the Bible says, how, if you can't run with the footmen, how will you compete with the horses? If you, if you don't know the basics or you can't do the basics, you will never go to the higher things. Jesus put it to Nicodemus this way. If I speak to you about the earthly things and you don't get it, what are you going to, you're going to freak out if I actually start speaking to you about spiritual things. If we can't get the basics right, what happens every time we build the house, it collapses. Every time the house gets built, it collapses because we don't have the foundations that were necessary operating in our life. And our potential, thank you, our potential comes through keeping the primary. That's not everything, but that gives it to you. So God will keep his promises, but he will not fulfill your potential without your participation. You understand that? He's not going to work any harder than you. Jesus isn't going to do it for you. It's not Reader's Digest. Here it is, balloons, boom, you won the lottery. Here's your check. All your problems are over. It doesn't work like that. There's a participation. It is a relationship with him that's necessary in order for these things to come forward. Prayer is one of the things that help us move into our potential, move into our destiny, move into our purposes. These, those five things are essential, and prayer is one of them. What is prayer? Prayer is an invitation. How do you know that? Because Jesus invites us. Would you not tarry with me one hour? He's inviting us to pray. That's just one verse among many. Prayer is a command. He tells us that we ought always to pray and not to faint. That's what's called an emphatic imperative in the Greek, which means it's not an option. It's not a suggestion. He's telling us, keep praying, don't faint. That's a command. Prayer is the scepter of our authority. Prayer is one of the ways we activate our spiritual authority one of, the one, one of the ways we release the kingdom into our lives, we draw ourselves into the presence of God, and we activate the glory of God into the world around us. It comes through prayer. And we have authority. Spiritually, the Christian, there is no higher authority than you. Somewhere along the line, you're going to understand that. Devils are more powerful than human beings, but devils are not more powerful than a spirit-filled believer. Ever at any time, in any place. The believer has the authority. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, far above principalities, powers, mights, and dominions. Those are, those are demonic categories of strongholds. And we are seated above them. Above them. Not beneath them. Above them. They have no ruling authority over you. None whatsoever. They play on your ignorance, and they play on your arrogance. 
They hide things from you. And the reason the enemy has, has things going on in your life is because there are things that you don't know. You don't know. You might not be aware of the lies that you actually believe. I don't believe any lies. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I believe in truth. Really? Really? Do you believe and do you know that you are a son and a daughter of the, of the highest? Do you know that? Does your life align with that purpose? Do you know that you cannot fail only if you quit? Do you know that? Do you know that God is for you? Nothing can be against you. Do you know that? Do you know that God is good all the time regardless of what your circumstances say? Your circumstances will test your belief. That's one of the things that circumstances do. Your circumstances will come upon you to test you to see if you actually believe that God is good all the time. Oh, we confess it. Oh, God's good. God's good all the time. God loves me. God's for me. God, no, everything works out to the good of those who love him called according to their purpose. Until all hell breaks loose, then let's see what you say. Oh, no, that's when we leave church. That's when nobody can find us, you know, or, you know, we don't want anybody around us because the reality is set in. But these things come to us to test us, to cause us to persevere so that we might inherit a greater victory. That's why this stuff comes. It has no authority over you. The only way a Christian loses is if they quit. That's the only way. An unconquerable people we are. Unconquerable. Be not weary in your will doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. The only thing that where we don't reap, the only way we don't succeed is when we quit. The Bible says, they that draw back, my soul has no pleasure in them. God's not happy with chickens. He doesn't like chickens. He doesn't. You're going to go, man, I was having chicken for lunch, man. I'm gonna... Pastor said, Jesus doesn't like chickens. This is a problem. <laughs> he doesn't have a problem with you trying and failing. He has a problem with cowardice. God has no problem with you trying and failing. Not one time will you find him coming down on somebody earnestly trying and failing. But you will see him coming down on cowardice. He comes down on cowardice directly. Yeah? Crickets. <laughs> Even Joshua, when he went into the promised land and he completely screwed it up. God didn't go, Joshua, you idiot. Why'd you try it that way? Why'd you do it? He just said, Joshua, you did it without me. Let's get up and try it again. He never condemned the effort. Peter on the water goes down into water. He didn't condemn the effort. He didn't condemn the effort. He put his hand on his shoulder, little faith. Look at you, Peter. You can walk on the water with little faith. Imagine what you could do with big faith. That's the context of what he's saying. He didn't go, you of little faith, Peter. He wasn't, he wasn't condemning Peter in the midst of the other 11 that wouldn't get out of the boat. He was actually commending him. Because everybody else was in the boat, rocking back and forth, not wanting to make a mistake. And Peter goes, boom, I'm going out. He sings. Jesus brings him back. Hey, man, why'd you stop? Little faith. Good job, little faith. That's the context of the, of, in the original language. It's, it's an affirmation. It's not a condemnation. He never condemns the effort. He condemns the cowardly. The cowardly is at the top of the list in the book of Revelation of those who have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Number one is the coward. The coward don't have inheritance. Because you don't believe God. You don't come forth. You don't reach. You don't go. Faith is what faith is at its essence is trusting God at the point of his promises. That's what faith is. Do you believe God enough to stand and see him fulfill what he has said he is going to do? That's faith. God said it. I'm going to believe. God said it. I'm going to do. Prayer is, prayer is the scepter of authority. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. You cannot go as Christ was sent without the full governing and ruling authority that he possessed. 
Jesus came as a man, set aside the attributes of his deity, or denied himself access to his deity. He was God and man, and he became like us and became fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Everything he did, he did in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus walked on water because he was God. No, he walked on the water because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a hermeneutical doctrine, or hermeneutical teaching is a method which, by which all doctrine of the Bible is fulfilled. And so what it tells you is by comparison, you can't say that Jesus was on the water as God. You can't say Jesus rose the, raised the dead because he was God. Then the question is, well, how did he die on the cross? If he didn't, if he didn't die on the cross as us, then we are not saved. He died on the cross as a man. You understand this? That's why the Bible says, as the Father sent me, so I send you, and guess what? I got another one for you. Greater works than these you will do because I go to my Father. In other words, if you guys are all bedazzled by what I do, wait and see what happens to you or what I will do through you when the Spirit comes. He tells us, because I go to the Father. And then he says, to your benefit I go, because if I do not go, then the Spirit will not come. But when he comes, it's all, it's all, all bets are off. So the challenge of the believer is to begin a realignment. The, the, part of our problem is our thinking. Our thinking is misaligned. We think horizontally when we're supposed to think vertically. And we're not supposed to think from, from earth to heaven. We're supposed to think from heaven to earth. We're to operate in the mind of Christ. We're to operate, there's no poverty in heaven, there should be none on the earth. What do you want to do, Lord? There's no joblessness in heaven, there shouldn't be joblessness on the earth. What do you want to do, Lord? What am I doing? You're, you're like making this thing, like, like, what does that mean? It's make, no, it's making noises because it's in my pocket, it's the antenna. It's because I'm dancing up here, that's why. I'll pull it up, I'll pull it over here. It keeps, uh, the antenna on this thing's like a little weak, so. I'll do some salsa, is that going to help me? Anyway, next slide. We got to know who we are. We got to know who he is. We got to know what's given to us. Just because you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit does not mean you know what you're doing. That's our problem. We just don't know what we're doing. And what we also do, so we have ignorance. We don't know what we're doing. And then we have something called apathy. This is the plague of the American church. This is the plague of the Western church is apathy. We don't care. We're indifferent. And we're apathetic. We don't do anything. We have churches filled with people who know all the right things but couldn't care less. That's apathy. Oh, my gosh. We, I meet people, they can quote the Bible like a machine gun. They can lay doctrine down as good as a seminary professor. But it doesn't affect their life at all. Apathetic. You're filled with all the right things, but you couldn't care less. That's the problem. Our problem as believers when it comes to the presence of the Lord and the power of his spirit is related to what we do not know and it's related to our unwillingness to press in to what he promises. He promises to give you revelation. He promises to give you transformation. He promises to release power through your life to change everything. But it requires something of you. It requires an effort. The Bible says the gospel of the kingdom suffers violence, or the kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by forth. You ready for this? The devil is not opposed to the gospel. Crickets. He's opposed to the gospel of the kingdom. Those are two entirely different contexts. The devil is not anti-Jesus. Crickets. He's anti-Christ. 
Christ is the anointing. Christ is the power. What is he opposing? He's not opposing Jesus. Turn on any liberal network, any loose network, whatever background you come from. Listen to anybody. They all love Jesus, but they don't like the exclusiveness of the anointing. They don't like the exclusiveness of the power. That's where everything comes into opposition. We can all play church and nobody's ever going to bother us, but begin to invade church with the culture of the kingdom and oh, you're going to get pushed back. It's the kingdom of God that suffers violence. The dominion, the rule and the reign of Christ in the world, that's what suffers it. What does it mean? It means the power of God coming into the world. Jesus has healed sickness and disease. It's already done. That's a fact. Well, why don't we see it? Because we don't know what we're doing. I'm going to tell you right now, we're woefully ignorant. We do not know how to manifest what is, belongs to us. So there was a responsibility on our part to press in and keep pressing in and keep dismantling our thinking this is what we do. We're intellectual idolaters. We worship what we think we know. <laughs> and we can't get to where God wants us to be. And so what has to happen is God said this, but I'm not, this isn't what's happening. So I need to press in. Okay, I'm not seeing it. What am I not seeing? What am I not thinking? You've got to dismantle your thinking. And you've got to keep changing and changing and changing until you manifest what God promised. That's, what, that's the problem. It's true. Come on. I got two, three people over here tuning in from row. That's awesome. The issue isn't Jesus isn't healing. The issue is we don't know what we're doing. The problem's on our side of the equation, Christian. The apostles healed at will. So we create a doctrine. Oh, that was just the apostles. Everything died with the apostles. It doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. Nowhere. That is a false doctrine and a false teaching. That has infected the church. Well, we can't heal. Well, Paul could heal. You know, they gave out handkerchiefs and people got healed. Peter's shadow fell on people and they got healed. But that's the apostles. Have you ever read about Peter? Peter wasn't anything special, man. He was messed up. Missing some teeth. Was a dock worker. He knew his Bible. But he looked like he'd been in a few bar fights. You know, he, he, he wasn't like, you know, he, he didn't glow in the dark. He wasn't like some saint or some, some anything special. Bible says Elijah was a man just like us, yet he commanded the rains not to fall, and he did. And the emphasis is on, he's just like you, yet he did this. Well, how is that possible? Because we have ordained to be the dominion rulers of this realm. Heaven belongs to the Father, but the earth, heaven even the highest of heavens belong to the Father, but the earth he has given to sons of men. The sons and daughters of men, this is our realm. That's why God can do nothing in this world without partnership. Nothing. 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 He has a sovereign rule that will not change, but everything else is delegated authority and requires participation. There are sovereign issues with the Lord. The times and the seasons of when he's returning, that's in his hands. We don't get to determine, we don't get to vote when Jesus is coming back. The Bible says righteousness is his. He determines what's right and wrong, we don't get to vote. Bible says justice is the foundation of his throne. He determines what power looks like and how it's to be used. That's his, that's, those are his. But so many of the other things are delegated to you. You don't know who you are. And you don't know what's been given to you. Jesus has thrown you the keys to like a, a Ferrari, man. He's thrown you the keys to a Lotus, a McLaren, you name it. You've got a, keys to something way more sophisticated than you. And he doesn't have a problem with you having it. The question is, is are you exploring the reality of what you actually have? It's true. 
We have to press in. It's the apathy and the anemicness and the unwillingness of the church to engage in difficult questions. Did you know Paul went away for three years to Damascus? What was he doing in three years? The Bible says he was wrestling with everything that was being revealed to him. God had given him revelation, and he took three years of his life to try to figure this out. What are you saying? What are you meaning? This is completely mind-blowing to me. And then when Paul showed up on the scene after three years, he blew the world up. Two-thirds of your Bible's written by that guy because he wrestled with the understanding of what he had. We need to wrestle with the understanding of what we have. We need to wrestle with the understanding of what's been given to us. We are the world changers, man. <laughs> I said at first service, government's not going to change the world. The church has been designed to change the world. What does that look like? That's question one. First question, what does that look like? What does that mean? So, there's, so now we're entering into questions. We're called to change the world. And we just kind of go, yeah, we're called to change the world. Oh, Okay, first question, what does that look like? Second question, how do we do that? Third question, what do we know? What do we don't know? What are the barriers? All of these things revolve around what we're called to do, but we're apathetic. And it's not, I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm going to be really out there because I myself hold this position, but I would argue it with any one of my peers. The problem is not the people. The problem is the pulpit. The problem is the pulpit. You get what you preach, as one someone, someone told me. Everything produces after its own kind. If you stick around this church long enough, you're going to start assimilating into what you're taught because everything produces after its own kind. You go to bubblegum, popcorn, and candy, you know, Frappuccino church, you're going to start looking like that. Skinny jeans and smoke machines won't be long before you're wearing skinny jeans. You know, you might be 50 years old, but you're going to try to get that shaved look on your head. You're going to try somehow because you're assimilating into what you're taught. You're assimilating into the environment by which you find everything produces after its own kind. Genesis. And what we come under when you come under a teaching, I don't know why I'm teaching this. What do you come under when you come under a church or you come under, an, you come under what is called a yoke? You come under a teaching of that church. So if the church is power-driven, power is going to go to the people. If the church is grace-driven, grace is going to come to the people. If the church is legalistic and dogmatic, the people are going to be legalistic and dogmatic. And it's not the people's problem. Everything produces after its own kind. I take my role very seriously because I'm going to account. And the Lord's going to go, you see these people? This is what you produced, Kevin. And I'm like, oh, no. You know, but I don't, I don't look at it because I don't have my own agenda. I look at that as a, as a blessing because I say, great. What do you want, Lord? Here am I. What do you want? And the Lord says, I want this. And then I struggle and I struggle and I struggle and I struggle till I get a clearer and clearer picture of what the Lord wants. And then he says, do this. And we press and we press and we press until we get to a place where we can see that start happening. This is how this stuff works. Jesus has not retracted his power. And the power did not die with the apostles. It is alive in today. If you believe the, the scripture, the, last, the latter day is greater than the former. The latter reign is greater than the former. So anything that happened in the first century church is going to pale in comparison by what the Lord would do in the latter day. The latter reign is greater than the former. I believe that. And I believe it's a divine setup. 
And I believe the problem's on our side of the equation. Christian, it isn't that God's against you, it's you don't know who you are. It's not that God's against you, it's you don't know your identity, you don't know your purpose, and you don't know the promises. God's not against you, ever. It's a lie. Who told you that? Who told you that? God's not against you. Oh, God did this. Who told you that? God didn't do that. He didn't do that either. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow in turning. In other words, make no mistake, this is how I am. So the, I always tell people, if it's not good and perfect, it's not from Jesus. Not from Jesus. Might be from some other source. Might be consequences of your choices. Might be from bad people. Might be from a bad devil. But it's not from Jesus if it's not good and perfect. Might be the result of a broken world and a broken system that's just aggregated all this stuff upon you. But it's not from Jesus. He's not of this world. Do you believe that? God needs a man or a woman. We find this throughout the scripture. Ezekiel, I sought for a man who would stand against the wall on behalf of me in the land that destruction would not come, but I found none. God's desire through prayer is that we stand in the gap and bring heaven. We bring, what God is looking for with prayer and in this verse is he's looking for a group of people that says this is not the way it should be. He's looking for a group of people that say, I don't agree with this. We are way too tolerant to accept things. Way too tolerant. We just accept, well, this is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be. This is, must be God's will. Who told you that? All of those things are not true. Those things are lies. God will change nations. God will change realities. God will change situations, circumstances, and families if we are willing to stand in a gap and believe him for what he says and implement the things that he tells us to do. He will do it. It is true. Destruction came because there was no man. God needs a man in this realm to activate his kingdom. Christ needed to activate. God wanted to activate salvation in this world. So he himself had to become a man in order to bring salvation into this world. He didn't decree it from heaven that men can be saved because that's not the system. He needed a, a man or a representation of a man. In, he was God and man, I'm not saying that, but he needed a man, someone that represented humanity to come into this world in order for him to partner and bring forth what he desired. It's the same thing now. He needs your partnership. Prayer is divine partnership. At its core, that's one of the things that it is. It's divine partnership. Am I losing you? No? No? Okay. I can, Moises, Moises and Caesar always got my back over here. So Carmen's got the front row. So if I go, go give me an amen, Carmen. She's going to give me one. There you go. All right, next slide. <laughs> Jesus gave us a prayer outline. You guys know it. Our Father. Come on. Yeah, you're good. We think it's a prayer. It's an outline. It's an outline. Prayer is ministry. So I'm going to break down this outline for you really quick, but prayer is ministry. Everybody said, you know what ministry is? Servitude. A lot of people in ministry don't, don't, know, don't know that the word ministry means to go beneath and, and row. It's the guy below deck rowing the oars. It, minister means under rower. That's the interpretation. It's not the guy on deck giving the orders. It's the guy that goes beneath to serve to make it happen. And we're all called into ministry, but the pastors, the leaders, are the chief, lead, are the chief servants. So we, Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. And so that's the model that needs to be presented. So when we do these hierarchical models, and I'm not against hierarchy and structure and spiritual authority. I'm all in that. I get it. I carry a mantle. I carry an authority. 
but I'm not to represent myself as some icon to you. There's one rock star and his name's Jesus. Right? That's it. <laughs> My job is to serve and to model servitude to you and model relationship of the Lord to you. That's my job. As best and broken as I can, but that's my job. Prayer is ministry. Ministry is servitude. People often want ministry from the Lord, but they don't realize that ministry from the Lord first begins with ministry to the Lord. Crickets. <laughs> Prayer ministers unto the Lord. Ask first service this question. I know there's somebody in here who knows it. In the book of Revelation, there's a bowl of prayer that's brought before the Lord, and it represents what? A bowl of incense that represents what? That's the prayers of the saints. So what do you do with incense? You smell it. So God has given us an image of what prayers mean to him. It's aromatherapy. He's into it. He likes to smell it. That's the fragrance that he wants around him. That's the environment that he wants around him. Jesus said his church is a what? House of Right, not a praise and preaching. Those are important, but it's prayer. Prayer is the essence of it. So ministry of servitude, ministry of prayer ministers to the Lord. Did you know that? God loves you to minister to Him. Anybody have kids? Right? When your kids go, Daddy, I wrote a song, or Mommy, I wrote a song. And you sit down, and it, that ministers to you. That blesses you. Look, I drew a picture, Mommy. I threw paint on a piece of paper. Look. What is that? That's you and daddy, or that's me and my cat at school. Yeah, it looks like a bunch of smeared colors. But hey, honey, I can see that. <laughs> as broken as it is, it still ministers to you. As messed up as it is, it still ministers to you. Our ministry to the Lord just blesses him. Prayer is one of the things that blesses him. It's what he digs. He's into it. So what prayer looks like? Okay, I'm going to give you prayer. Prayer is this. We are priests. There's a kingdom of priests. We find this in the book of Exodus. God's desire for the Jewish people coming out of Israel was that they would be a nation of priests. Woeful failure. We flash forward to the church. We have Jesus implementing the same idea to the church itself. We are a kingdom of priests. How are we doing? Mm. The book's still out yet. We don't even know it. We don't know, what, we don't know what it means to be a kingdom of priests. We are ministers and priests of the Lord. And when they quote that verse, my question, see, I want understanding. The Bible says, in all your ways get knowledge, in all your ways seek understanding. Seek it more than gold. Seek it more than silver. I want to understand what are you saying. And you have permission to seek understanding. I'm like, what is a priest? What does this mean? And I spent a good deal of time thinking about it. And the Lord gave it to me really simple. Priest means unto me, from me, to others. That's what it means. Priestly ministry is unto the Father, from the Father, and unto the world. So that's what it means. So when we pray, prayer begins with praying unto Him. That's why we worship and we praise. I tell people this. Worship and praise isn't because Jesus just wants to hear a song. You know what I'm saying? He just wants to do a little knee slapping on a Sunday morning. Prayer and praise is to empty yourself so that you can receive from Him. Prayers, praise empties you of you. Jesus can't release himself into you because you're so full of you. You're so full of your problems. You're so full of your worries. You're so full of your fears. You're so full of everything else. And so what praise does is it releases something from you, empties you of you, so that he now can encounter you. You ever know when you worship and praise God, all of a sudden, wow, I feel peace. I feel power. I got some goosebumps. I feel a little warm. Woo, I feel a little something. Or I feel power. 
because you're emptying yourself and his presence is coming. This prayer begins with our Father. So prayer begins with identity. We talk about this all the time, how important identity is. Identity. It's not just, I'm a Christian, I'm this or whatever. It comes from the identity of knowing who he is, is he's your Father. And people would say, we would, oh yeah, I know he's my Father. But if I asked them this question, do you know that you are a son and a daughter of the highest? Do you know that? You are a son or a daughter of the highest. That's who you are. That's not who you're becoming, that's who you are. You, in destiny, this is what you are, and you are walking out and bringing that destiny to light. Jesus calls you what you are long before you get there. <laughs> you're an overcomer. Well, I don't look like an overcomer. It doesn't matter. You're an overcomer. He calls you who and what you are long before you get there. Just say this. I am a son or a daughter of the highest. This is true. And I receive this truth into this reality. Just feel that. You begin to declare yourself as a son or a daughter of the highest. He calls you that. Progressive discipleship. Three tiers. Servant, friend, and sons and daughters. Jesus lays it out and says, where do you want to land? Lots of Christians born again going to heaven. They only view God as being his servant. Oh Lord, I'm just here before you. I'm a worm, no longer a man. Lowly and bequeathed beneath your divine nature. Always in servitude mode. Lord, if you're in a good mood, would you, could you, should you? You know, I've been good. I, you know, I did three out of the five things you asked me to do this week. So, you know, I was just thinking that if you were feeling good today and you're not too busy, maybe you could look at me and maybe you could give me something, a little bit of something, a little bit over here. Would you, could you, should you? Servant mentality. You don't understand who you are. And it's an acceptable relationship. It's in your Bible. It's acceptable. Jesus will accept the servant mentality but it's not the highest revelation. According to your faith, so be it unto you. He would take you higher. Second one is friends. Oh, we're friends. Oh, me and big guy upstairs. Jesus, friends. Hey, buddy, you know, need a job. Need a new car. Need this over here. You know, friends, you're on this mutual beneficial plan. You know, I'll do for you. You do for me. Hey, Lord, I was thinking I was going to do this. And if I do this, why don't you do this for me? That's friendship. Phileo. You do for me. I do for you. And again, an acceptable relationship, because it's in the Bible, but it's not the highest revelation. The highest revelation is sons and daughters. That's the highest revelation. And it's a big move in the church. I like to call it out. Woo, we're sons and daughters, and everybody wants to dance. We're just sons and daughters. And I'm like, I'm all in. We're sons and daughters. But do we know what sons and daughters mean? My question now, when I, when I'm like, what does it mean to be a son and a daughter? And you know what's interesting? Jesus answers it. There was a man who had two sons. And one, he told the son to do this. And one son said, I will, and he didn't. The other son said, I won't, and did it. Which one was the son? Sons and daughters are qualified by obedience. Sons and daughters are qualified by what their father wants. Not my will, your will. That's what qualifies us as sons and daughters. When we walk not just in the understanding, but we walk in the revelation, that it's what do you want, Lord? I am about your business. We are about our father's business. We're sons and daughters advancing his kingdom about his business. Everything relates to what he wants. What do you want? God wants to do something in your workplace. What do you want to do? No, he wants to get me to get a paycheck and do my job. Yeah, that's part of it. That's part of it. But he also wants to do something in the atmosphere. There's probably people around you that he wants to minister to. There are things around you that he wants to touch. 
son and daughter, what, can, what business would you like to conduct here, Lord? There's business he'd like to conduct among your family, in your neighborhood. That's what he wants to do. Sons and daughters, ask, what business would you like to conduct here, Lord? I live in this neighborhood. I live in this area. Is there any business, Father, that you would like to conduct? Is there anything on your behalf that I may do for you? <laughs> There's glory on this, man. I'm like beaming on that, man. Wow. Sons and daughters is the highest relationship. You can stay as a servant. You can believe you're saved by grace and you're going to get into kingdom by smoke, okay? You can be big buddy Jesus where you do for him, he does for you, you know? And when he stops, being for, when he stops doing for you, you no longer are his friend. Or you can be a son. And you can say, here I am. What do you desire? And you can not only ask him, come on. A son looks like not only knowing, we'll go a little deeper. Oh man, I'm on sons and daughters. This is going to be a minute. You guys want to know more about sons and daughters? Okay, I got one. That's all I need. I tell you, that's all I got one. It's like, Carmen, stop getting him talking. He's talking. Do you want to know? Sons and daughters not only are in for their father, sons and daughters knows what, what is rightfully theirs. That's the difference. So sons and daughters is not just about a relationship that positions us doing our father's business. Sons and daughters know their inheritance. You need to look no further than the prodigal son. The prodigal son knew what was his. He didn't know what to do with it, but he knew it was his, and he took it. Older son didn't know what was his. He was a son, nonetheless, but he was not operating according to his inheritance because he didn't even know what was his. The role of the father within the church, there are spiritual fathers within the church. So some of you here, this message may be for you. You may feel yourself or you may find yourself at some day where you become a mentor or a spiritual father. The role of the spiritual father is to lead the children into destiny. That's what you see the father in that picture. He's trying to show the younger son the party's always been in the house, bro. And not only that, the party's in the house. You know what the other, the other, the other statement he's telling them? Is there's always more. Yeah. yeah. You don't think, you don't believe that. There's always more. You can blow it. You can spend it all. You can waste it. That's what prodigal means. And Jesus has more. He can, oh, yeah. he can give it to you and he can say, go invest it. And you can waste it. You can squander it. You can make a mistake with it. And you can go back and he goes, there's more. He didn't commend the servant for doing nothing. He, commended the, he commended, didn't commend the servant for trying. He, dis, he condemned the servant because the servant did nothing. The story is there's more. That's the story to the prodigal. I've wasted it. I'll never this. I'll never that. There's always more, believer. Heaven's not broke. Heaven will never be broke. The river flows. If he needs it, he'll make it. Huh. If he doesn't have it, he's going to make it. Don't worry. I'll make that for you. Just hold on a second. Here you go. There's more. <laughs> you may give him something that's broken and he's going to go, eh, I don't know about that. What do you guys think? Nah, let's get rid of that. Let's give him something new. It's who he is. The father's heart was never to condemn that boy. Never. It was to bring him back into his inheritance and restore him to his rightful position. The father's heart to the older son was not to rebuke him for his arrogance and for his pride and for his selfishness and his self-righteous attitude in condemning his brother, the father's attitude was to get that boy to understand what is rightfully his. He said, everything I have is yours. You just don't access it. Everything I have is available to you. You just have never asked me. It's all yours. 
sons and daughters. Isn't that a lot more beautiful than, you know, oh, Lord, oh, yeah. This is, the, this is the message we proclaim to the church. And we raise up a generation of slaves. I'm a slave to Jesus. I'll tell you that. I'm a doulos. I'm a bondservant unto him. But I'm a son and a daughter. I serve him not because I have a slave mentality. I serve him not out of a slave context. I serve him out of the highest understanding that I am, I am a son and a daughter. I'm a friend with the Lord, but I don't serve him out of the big buddy mentality. I serve him because I'm his son. My son calls me his best friend. It's a little hard to digest because I'm his dad. I'm like, whoa, my son sees me that way? He calls me best friend all the time. You know? And it's been a revelation to me. I'm like, he's my son, yet he's my friend. You know? And some parents would go, we don't raise our children to be our friends. We raise them to be this, 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 this. And I, yes, I get that. But at the same time, there should be a relationship in that context. So I'm a, I, there's a relationship within the context of me being a son and a daughter. There's a relationship there. <laughs> the love of God. The power flows through the love. If we don't have the love, we're love deficient and there is no power. Zero. Only rules, only legalism, only judgmentalism, powerless, anemic, Ichabod, no glory. Sons and daughters. Our Father, honored is your name. Not my name, your name. So it begins from us. Honored is your name. I'm going to show you what it looks like. So this prayer outline looks like this. God's name is revealed, or his attributes are revealed through his name, Jehovah. Okay? Two Greek words. Greek word is Jehovah. Hebrew word is Yahweh. It's called a transliteration. So when they translate it from Hebrew to Greek, because of the way the letters are structured, it doesn't communicate the same way. So Yahweh becomes Jehovah. Was God's name Yahweh or was God's name Jehovah? Both. Yahweh means the becoming one. I am. That's what it means. The becoming one. All that is, all that was, and all, I am... I am Past, present, and future. I am. I am all things. He's all that you need. Jesus is the I am. You know what that means? He's the desire of nations. He's everything you want, you just don't know it. He's everything the unbeliever wants, they just don't know it. He's everything the human being is searching for, they just don't know it. He's everything the Christian needs, wants, and wants to become. We stagnate into the simple realities, into simple revelations, and we sit down in these simple truths, and we never advance beyond where we, we, you know, we just receive, and then as Christians, we become frustrated. Anybody ever been frustrated as a Christian? Am I the only one? I'm frustrated because I didn't know there's more. We create elder brothers, not knowing what's our rightful inheritance is. We don't inherit. We don't walk into our inheritance. We don't taste and see that the Lord is good. We don't press into the greater good. And the greater understandings that he has for us. This is an entirely different message, and I keep getting pulled over here. I'm like, come back here. No, go over here. Come back here. No, go over here. So I'm having this little spiritual battle with myself right now. But it's for you. Somebody in here needs to hear you're a son. Somebody in here needs to hear you're a daughter. Somebody in here needs to hear that there's always more. Somebody needs in here needs to hear that you need to stop being finger-pointed and judgmental and come into the party. Somebody needs to hear that. Hallowed and honored is your name. And look, Jesus is Jehovah saves. His attributes are in his name. In the Bible, he's Jehovah Shalom. He's Jehovah Shammai. He's Jehovah Rofi. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Rohi. So what does this mean? We come before the Lord, open, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And we go, Father, I thank you for my salvation. I thank you that by the blood of Jesus, I stand before you. Or you come before him, you can, there's three parts. Everybody say it with me. Ask, thank, or declare. 
I ask you for a greater revelation of my salvation. I ask you for a greater understanding of who Jesus is. Or I declare your salvation over my life. I declare the fruit of the gospel over my life. Prayer is a three-lane highway. Do you ask, do you thank, or do you declare? Any one, pick a lane. You can move down the highway as much as you want. Jehovah Shema means the Lord is with me. Lord, Father, I thank you that you are Jehovah Shema, that you are with me always, even to the end of the earth. I thank you that you are for me, even on my worst day. I thank you that nobody loves me or everybody forsakes me, but you will never forsake me. I de- Come on. That's what it looks like. I declare your presence over my life today. I ask for your presence over my life today. This is what it looks like. So we go through and we honor his name. Jehovah Rohi, he's your shepherd or Jireh. We'll do Jireh, my Jehovah Jireh. Lord, I thank you that you are my provider. I thank you that I'm not a beggar. I thank you that you will provide for me in season and out. I thank you that you give nations for my ransom. I declare your provision into my world today. I declare what is rightfully mine into my world today. It's just stuff like that. You pivot. Liturgical prayers and would you, could you, should you's aren't going to get it done. Jesus doesn't answer would you, could you, should you's. He's just like, I'm going to go watch a football game, man. Come back to me when you got something to say. I mean, you know, come back to me when you got a greater reality of who you are. Don't would you, could you, should you me. Stop asking me and begging me. You're not a beggar. We come boldly. We come boldly. I don't know what I did last night. Doesn't matter what you did last night. He don't care. Maybe you need to come boldly and let him hose you off because you got too much stuff last night. Eventually, you're going to stop making poopy diapers. This is what I teach you. <laughs> Babies make poopy diapers because they're undeveloped. That's why. You make poopy diapers, Christian, because you're undeveloped. Does a mom go, how dare you? You did that again? I can't, oh my gosh, you're smelling up the whole house. Somebody get that thing out of here. What mother would do that? What father would do that? If we being evil wouldn't do that, who would we to say, he, you know, you man, man, I did it again, Lord. I just don't have control over myself, I guess, you know. But he will be patient with you. He will be kind to you. He will develop you until you gain control of your functions. If you will work with him, he will help you gain control. Development means the child has control over their functions, does it not? He will help you. He will develop you. Next slide. So it begins from us to us or to him. I'm going to probably do a bigger teaching on this. It just appears that this is necessary. But your kingdom comes. So if we look at this as a thing, we declare his name. What is his name? Some of you should do a study on the names of God and realize what his attributes are to you. He's his presence. It's his provision. It's his healing. It's his, it's his guidance. Your will be done on earth as it, is to, as it is in heaven. We go from our world to his, right? Here's how prayer works. Now from his world to ours, on earth as it is in heaven. So it's from us to him, now it's from him to us. His world to ours. What do we do? We ask, we thank, we declare. What's this mean? What in your life doesn't look like heaven? What in your life doesn't look like the purposes of God? And it can look like this. For you, it can look like your family, your church, your nation. Jerusalem, that's one of the prayers that's on there too, is that we pray for that. So what in my life? It's God's will that you prosper and be in health. Did you know that? Are you prospering and are you in health in every way? Then, you're prob- then it's not God's will for you. What's prosperity? Prosperity is relative. Okay? 
Prosperity isn't, you know, driving an Escalade with, you know, 26-inch rims on it or something. I don't know. That's not prosperity. Prosperity means well-being in every way. God hasn't a problem with money so long as you're supporting his gospel. He's given you the power to get wealth to it that you might establish his covenant. You have a power to obtain wealth. You shouldn't be afraid to make money. Some people don't care about money. That's completely fine, too. But others of you, you're what are, you are money generators. You have a gift to make money. I've met many people, and, they, and, and church denies that, but there's a gift. They're not, they don't have a Midas touch or whatever, an ability to make money so that they can live bigger and larger. They have an ability to make money that the kingdom might be funded in a bigger way. That's heaven's intent. That's his, want, that's his desire. He doesn't have a problem with money. He has no problem with money. None at all. Heaven's not broke. Streets of gold, you know. I mean, colors you've never seen before. Be dazzled. I mean, it don't look like Jesus is in the poorhouse in his kingdom, does it? No. Money is not the issue, Christian. The issue is, what are, you, are you faithful in what you're doing with it? And then the second thing is, is that it, it's, so where is it? Is it prosperity? Is there prosperity in your family? Is there disunity in your family? That's not God's will. Lord, I just release heaven into my family. Lord, all of the dissension, all of the contention, I just release your spirit on earth as it is in heaven. I release your spirit into my circumstances on earth as it is in heaven. I command your world into my world. It's not Burger King. It doesn't happen. Ding, there it is. There you go. It's right there. But we keep doing it. And we keep releasing it, and we begin to shift atmospheres, and we begin to shift realities, and we begin to pray. It's funny how when you pray for people and you release things over their life, suddenly things begin to turn, and things begin to change. Isn't that interesting? We pray for, in this area on earth as it is in heaven, it's, we pray God's will over our life. It's his will that you have a job. Did you know that? Yeah. Well, it's God's will I don't have a job. Who told you that? Let him who work, work with their hands so that they may have something to give. It's God's will. It's what it tells us it's God's will. People don't understand this, Christian. They don't understand favor. I'm going to give you favor. Nothing, say it with me. Nothing fair, Nothing fair about favor. Nothing fair. Have you believed God to release and have you activated the favor? Lord, I just release the favor of heaven over my life. As I am favored in your kingdom, so I release that favor over my life in this world. I declare favor into my circumstances, people, places, and things. Somebody's going to get that job. Somebody's going to be in that place, and somebody's going to have those things. The bread is for the children. This, this might bother some people. Oftentimes when I talk about favor, I always get, you know, Christians usually get unnerved with favor. And then what that is is it's an issue of value and worth. You don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. So it unnerves you because you don't really know who you are. It unnerves you because you don't know what, who he is. God will give nations for your ransom. I told first service, he'll kick an unbeliever out of a job to give you a job. Oh, oh, that's not, thank you. Oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. There's nothing fair about favor. Nothing. <laughs> Have you believed him? Lord, this is the job that I need. This is the pay that I need. This is the situation that I need. This is the circumstances that I need. Father, I release that on earth as it is in heaven. Have you tried it? I try it. It's an amazing thing when I'm in the will of the Lord. It just starts happening. I'm like, oh my gosh. I actually get more freaked out because it's happening than I do because I'm praying for it. It starts freaking me out. What? This is actually going down. It starts coming. You know? We need to believe. We need to stop diminishing our inheritance and our rightfulness. Oh, well, Kevin, we're servants. 
We're to be servants of the world. We're to be servants of this. We're to be servants of that. Yes, that's true. But we're to serve from a position of authority. We're not, so we are not beneath the culture. We're beneath Christ in the gospel. But we are not beneath this world. We are overcomers in this world. More than conquerors in this world. Heirs of the world to come. Inheritors of the kingdom that is now. That's who we are. And somehow, someway, we've got to get this right. Because the kingdom is not going to work on any other level. Until we start aligning ourselves, and I'm giving you a lot of stuff to align with, but until we start aligning ourselves with what is true, it will not activate. That's why people go, oh, Christianity this, or, and Christians become these dull, boring pickles, man. It's true. I am more fired up about the gospel And I've been walking with the Lord 25 plus years, almost 30 years I have been walking with Jesus. And I am more excited today. And I'm like, man, I wish I knew this stuff 20 years ago. Oh, where's this been all my life? I see more power. I see more revelation. I see more of everything. I see the kingdom. We don't get excited because we don't see the kingdom. Man, you see the kingdom, you're like, what? (laughs) Joy is one of the fruits of the kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We should be like, get out. God did that? No way. (laughs) Say this with me. Because I know this is, say this. For every setback, Jesus has a comeback. Setbacks are only opportunities for the comeback. Do you believe that? You've got to find it, and you've got to believe it, and you've got to power that thing forward. It's not going to do it on its own. You've got to grab it, and you've got to push it in and advance it. The kingdom is what suffers opposition. You suffer a lot of opposition because you're advancing the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of, of just the gospel. Man, Jesus never said when he returns, he didn't say this gospel of salvation will be preached in all the world and then the end should come. He didn't say that. He didn't even say this gospel will be presented in all the world and then the end should come. That's what we quote. Read it. Anybody know it? Do I got any witnesses here? This gospel of the kingdom will be presented in all the world, will be proclaimed in all the world, and then the end shall come. It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel of salvation. It is a specific line of thinking that is directly related to the kingdom and the dominion of God. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed and then the end should come. When the church starts understanding the gospel of the kingdom, something's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. Well, we got the gospel. We got the salvation side down. We got some of this stuff. We got that down nailed, but we don't have the gospel of the kingdom. We don't. It's the gospel of the king's dominion, the king's rule, the king's reign in every sphere of life. The sons and daughters, creation groans for the coming of the, for the awakening of the sons and daughters. We're waiting on God. Creation's waiting on you. Creation groans for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Creation is yearning that sons and daughters of, his fa- of our Father, we would understand who we are. And when we would take our rightful place, and creation itself will begin to change. Creation itself will begin to alter. Atmospheres, things will change. You say, that's a dream, Kevin. You're an idealist. No, I'm a biblicist. That's what I am. I'm not an idealist. I'm not a dreamer. 
I am a dreamer, but I'm a biblicist. That's what the Bible says. I know I'm getting really excited, man. I was like, I, was to, I guess I had to hold some stuff back for a service. So, all right, so this is what we pray for. What on earth is it is in heaven? We pray for our church. We pray for our family, protection for the pastor. Pastor doesn't need your prayers because I don't need your prayers. Because my family doesn't need your prayers because we're so much superior and we're so, in a, such an ascended level. We need your prayers because we are the number one target within the church. The pastor and its elders, the pastor and its ministry leaders are the ones that Satan wants to take out more than anything. Strike the sheep, shepherd, and the sheep will flee. It's an onslaught constantly. How do you know? I live it. I know. <laughs> and I can tell when people are praying, too. And it's just protection. Provision, purpose of the people, praying for the people of the church. We need to pray for our church. What do we pray? That the purposes of God would be fulfilled. We need to pray, ready for this one? The faithfulness of the people. The church's success is determined by the faithfulness of the people. The faithfulness of the people in their giving, the faithfulness of the people in their growing, the faithfulness of the people in their serving, and the faithfulness of the people in their learning. We pray for the faithfulness of God to work through the lives of the people. I'm going quick. i got one more slide. Give us this day our daily bread. So are you getting this? Am I understanding? Or am I just talking about sons and daughters and all this crazy stuff? This is, I don't know what this message is called. Prayer with a little bit on top. Spicy prayer, I guess. I don't know. So prayer is when we say on earth as it is in heaven. We call heaven into our circumstances. We begin to release heaven. We know what God says. We see what's out of line and we begin to release it. Strife, contention in the family. We pray for our own lives. We pray for things. Give us this day our daily bread. When we pray this part of the prayer, you know what you're asking for? What do you want? And what do you need? Most believers, a lot of believers struggle with this. They don't want to ask God for anything. They don't ever want to be in a point of need. Well, the reality is, is you need. Apart from him, you can do nothing. You need. You're dependent upon God for the beating in your heart, the breath in your body. We have needs. And so we make our needs known. Well, I don't want to bother God with my needs. He wants you to bother Him. He wants you to bother Him because you're not bothering Him. You don't bother Him. You might bother me. You might bother your neighbor. You might bother your, your family members. But you're not bothering Jesus because He can handle it. It's nothing. We give Him our needs. Lord, this is what I need. I need my daily bread. What do you want? This is a specific thing. Well, God knows what I want. No, he doesn't. Well, he may know what you want, but he wants to know, do you know what you want? That's a big piece. I teach you guys this. You see it when he does healing. He asks the guy, what do you want? He's got a blind man sitting on a corner with a rag on his head. Jesus walks up and goes, what do you want? I don't know. A sandwich would be nice. Sure, there you go. Here's a sandwich. You know, the guy's blind. You mean to tell me Jesus doesn't know what he wants? The whole world knows what he wants. But Jesus asked them, do you know what you want? Do you know? I may know. They all may know. But do you know what you want? That's the question. We ask the Lord according to what we want. Next slide. That's a teaching too. Next slide. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is the last slide. I thank you guys for being patient with me and receiving all that God has for you. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. This point of the prayers needs to everybody say pause. This is where we reflect and we ask the Holy Spirit to search us. David said, search me and know me, God. See if there's anything not right in me. We begin to ask the Lord, where, where, what's, what's going on with me, Lord? What's happening with me? Where's, where's, is there anything misaligned? He may say, no, you're good. You're just, you know, or he might show you, he may show you different things. He may show you about an attitude. He may show you that you said something, or you hurt someone, or you did this. Then you just, you, you, you ask him for forgiveness. Okay, Lord, I'm off on that. Here's what I do. Let me tell you what I do. I'll just show you my practice. Here's best practices by Kevin. This is as best as I can figure it out. Okay? So I'll go to the Lord and I'll go, okay, and he'll begin to deal with me. 
on something that's, gone, that's wrong or something that's off. And he'll show me. And so I'll go, okay, yep, you know what, I'm wrong. I'm off on that. And then I go to this point. I go, what do you want me to do to fix it? Give me the wisdom to handle that properly. And so then I'll ask him, not only will I admit, when he shows me, I go, okay, that was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have did that. That's not right. I'm off over here. So I want to bring that back. I want to repent of that. And now, Lord, what would you have me to do going forward? So it's not, hey, I repent. Now let me figure it out. Or, hey, I repent, and now I leave it alone. I repent, now I ask God what to do. Sometimes you might require an apology. Sometimes it might require a restoration. It may require something of you to make it right. And then the second thing is, is who do you need to forgive? So we ask God where we're off. We ask God what we need, who do we need to forgive? And that's a big one. We all pretend like we're forgiving people. Christians, we pretend. Oh, we forgive. Yes, they stole everything from me, killed me. Ran, I barely made it out alive. They killed my dog and blew up my car. But you know what? I forgive them. Do you really? Do you really? I want to free some of you this morning because I want you to understand this. Forgiveness, first of all, it comes from God. Second of all, forgiveness when it's first applied, particularly to areas where you're wounded. Sometimes you can forgive people very, very easily, don't we? Like, hey, man, I'm sorry I said that. Oh, don't worry about it. Yeah, I forgive you. No problem. We can do that. It's those people that take the dagger and just go right into your heart. That's a little more difficult, right? Are the people that just have done something to you that really wounded you. That forgiveness requires a healing of the hurt. So you can forgive, and that forgiveness may seem to be superficial, but it is an obedient act. You're choosing to forgive that person, but what the devil does and what Christians do is they condemn themselves because they keep feeling the hurt of the offense, and they think that they haven't forgiven the person. Well, you have forgiven them, you just keep feeling the pain of what they did or what you did. Another time, people can't forgive themselves. They try to forgive themselves, but they keep feeling the pain of what they did, and they can't get over that. You've got to heal that. That's why you need to come to the seminar. You need to heal that. Yeah, there you go. You need to come to that seminar. You need to heal that, and then forgiveness comes out. The fruit of forgiveness begins to happen. But you shouldn't condemn yourself by choosing to forgive. If you've chosen to forgive, you've stepped in faith, and you've done what he's asked you. The root, of the, the root of what needs to happen now is that the healing needs to happen where the hurt is. And if you don't heal the hurt, then this stuff's going to keep cycling. And every time you mention the name of the person that stabbed you, you're going to go, Oh! I want to kill him! You know? And you go, but I've forgiven him. I've forgiven him. Then somebody says their name again, and you're like, Oh! Having visions of running him over with a car, and you're like, but I wanna, I, I've forgiven him. You've got to heal that stuff. And then they'll mention their name and you'll be like, Psh, oh, that was a long time ago. Doesn't matter. It's all good. When you heal the hurt. So anyway, a little slide on that. Lastly, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is important to know. First of all, God's not leading anyone into temptation. He can be tempted by no evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. God's not tempting you. Temptation, he can't be tempted, nor is he tempting. He'll use the temptation, but he's not bringing it. He'll use the temptation to bring about a greater glory in your life, but he isn't, he isn't tempting you. The word temptation and trial are the same thing. What this is saying is do not let the temptation dictate to me. I'm going to come back to temptation in a minute. Let's use trial. Do not let the trial dictate to me. What does that mean? Anybody ever had a trial? What's a trial? Something that just completely shows up, boom, knocks you off course, drops from the sky, blows up underneath you. Pick, a, pick, a, pick an analogy. I don't care. But that's a trial. And that trial starts dictating to you, doesn't it? 
That trial starts talking to you. God's not good. You should do this. It starts directing you. The prayer is, Lord, do not allow, I'm asking you to not allow this trial to dictate my faith. I'm asking you that you not allow this trial to dictate my identity, to dictate my direction. I'm asking, I declare that this trial will not dictate my identity. I thank you that this trial will not dictate my identity. That's what it's saying. Do not allow this to lead me. Do not allow this thing to dictate to me. Do not allow this temptation to dictate to me. Temptation's an easy one. Temptations like forgiveness, we make it more complicated than it is. Temptation, forgiveness comes through understanding. If you can gain understanding, you can forgive. Healing of the hurt and the wound comes through understanding. You can heal the hurt and the wound through understanding. So that's not that, it's not that difficult. Temptation's the same way. First of all, the devil may be tempting you, but the temptation is, that's coming from you is not coming from him. It's not coming from God, and it's not coming from him. It's coming from you. How do you know? You're, it's what you're hungry for. Okay? I like ribeyes. I like steak. A little surf and turf on the side. Red lobster. Thank you for all those red lobster coupons at Christmas. I appreciate that. I'm a surf and turf kind of guy. If you put tofu in front of me, I'm really not going to be tempted with that. I'm not that, I'm not hungry for that. So tofu in a bowl of kale isn't really going to get it done for me. All right? It doesn't really tempt me. Okay? Then you can take a vegetarian and you can put surf and turf in front of them. And they're, gonna, they're not really going to put steak and lobster, shrimp, a little, a little scampi here. You got a whole thing going on. You know, those little cheese rolls. I got those cheese rolls there. <laughs> Come on. I've been to Red Lobster a couple times. You can tell. <laughs> that surf and turf isn't going to tempt the vegetarian. Why? Because they're not hungry for it. What happens with temptation, you have to change what you're hungry for, and the temptation leaves. And you have to, you have to decide what is the, what is the root of what, why am I hungry for this? Okay, you want me to get real personal? You want me to come, me to come up in the living room, sit on a couch with you, and tell you how it really works? Okay? Husband goes, and goes off, and he's having a temptation with an affair. Okay? Why is he hungry for that? Well, maybe he feels a lack of validation at home. Maybe he's living, maybe his, the temptation's rooted in a desire because he doesn't have to wash clothes. When you're, you're tempted with this woman because all she does is say words of affirmation to you. She looks pretty, she smells good, she all this other stuff. You don't go home and, take, and, take, and clean the cat litter box. You don't go home and do the laundry with this woman. You don't go home and deal with all the dysfunctions of a family with this woman. So this woman all of a sudden looks attractive to you. You're hungry for this because of that. So what you have to do is reconcile why you're hungry and redirect your desire. The thought, women are tempted with things too because maybe their husband never blesses them. Their husband's never nice to them. Their husband never says a kind word to them. Their husband's this or that or very ag aggressive. And so they get around a guy and that guy's really saying really sweet things. Oh, you look really pretty. You look really nice. Oh, that's a really good job all of a sudden. And they're feeling like, woo, they're feeling all starry-eyed. And they're tempted with something that they wouldn't ordinarily be tempted with. And the reason that they're tempted is because they're hungry for something and they're not receiving it. Drugs and alcohol is another one. We're well, I'm addicted. I was, my uncle was addicted. My, everybody in my family is addicted. Well, that may be true. However, you're medicating something. Yes. Crickets. You're medicating something. A need for affirmation. You're medicating a wound. You had a traumatic childhood. You can't deal with it. Your emotions are freaking out, so you've got to suppress it with drugs and alcohol. Just a thought. And you're tempted 
with that dependency because of a need and a hunger that you truly have. People are self-abusive because they don't know who they are. They're tempted. Every time things go well, they're tempted to just destroy everything. You've got to change the hunger if you're going to rule temptation. And you've got to ask yourself, why am I hungry for this? Oh, it's just natural. No, it's not natural. And you have to ask yourself, why am I hungry for this? And I need to change the hunger. I need to ask God, do the business, come to the seminar, and find out why I'm hungry for this. And you'll change. And you'll, it's an amazing thing. What used to tempt you won't tempt you anymore. You'll be free. It's true. So that's what that verse is talking about. We have a lawful right to be delivered. And this is lastly, this is the place of spiritual warfare. Wow, I really went long. <laughs> you guys still love me? Yes. It's good stuff, man. You're not going to get this on Dr. Phil. That's all I can tell you. Some of y'all sit down for two hours and just binge watch Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. Oprah, Oprah, Oprah. Jesus, Oprah don't have anything on Jesus. Dr. Phil don't have anything on Jesus. Okay? Let me bless you. I think I'm going to teach this a little more thoroughly. But, um, yeah. Anyway, let me bless you. All right, I'm just hearing this. If you're here today and you have a need in your life, if you just stand out, it can be anything. I'm not going to ask you. If there's a need in your life, whatever it may be, this is what I'm hearing, so this is what we're going to do. I want you to like just lay your hands on your stomach, okay? And I want you to just draw out what you need. I want you to hold it in your hands. This is an exercise in faith. I want you to do that. Lord, I need this. And I want you to present it to him. And I want you to see him taking that from you. And I want you to see him handing you something back. Whatever he hands you back, I want you to receive it from him. I want you to put it back in that place that you've taken that from. And I just want you to let the Holy Spirit marinate. Just let him come into you. Let him move. I'm just trying to hear him. He's just letting that linger for a second. He's like, shh. I'm like, okay, shh. All right. So I want you to receive that. All right. I want you to look forward. I want you to say this. In Jesus' name, name. I am a son and a daughter of the highest. I declare that this need shall be met according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I declare need and provision come forth now even this day even this week provision come forth now I just want you to receive that and let me bless you may the Lord bless you I got something else to tell you real quick but may the Lord bless you may the Lord keep you may he cause his grace to shine down his face to shine down upon you may he be gracious to you and give you peace may you forever live within his favor in Jesus name you believe